Hello and welcome to the Digital Works podcast, the podcast about digital stuff in the cultural sector. My name's Ash and in today's episode, episode number 26, we have a conversation with Nick Sherrard. Nick is a partner at Label Ventures, which is a venture studio based in Edinburgh. But prior to that, Nick spent over a decade working in a variety of production and administration focused roles in the cultural sector. Nick and I first met about a decade ago now, and I was really excited to speak to him about his perspectives, having been out of the sector for a while, and also his thoughts on innovation and experimentation, which is a topic that's come up time and again over the last couple of years through these podcast conversations. I think Nick has a really interesting and inspiring perspective on how cultural organisations might think differently. He also has a few enjoyable provocations sprinkled throughout our chat so enjoy so morning nick thanks morning for, thanks for joining me thanks for coming down from edinburgh i know it wasn't especially for this but uh well i'm gonna say it definitely was and you know yeah but it's good to be here though thank you and as is my classic first question you currently work at label ventures but actually we were just saying we met maybe almost 10 years ago when you were working at sound in music yeah and that's quite a journey. That's quite a, a. Those are two very different types of organisations. What What is the Nick Sherrard career story look like <laughs> well, to get you where you are? It is funny because on one level, I've always been doing the same thing, which is spotting an opportunity for something to exist and then trying to create something. Um, now, as you're saying, so I'm a partner at Label Ventures. It's a venture studio, which I guess the kind of arts world equivalent is like a production company that's focused on creating new products and new brands. So we work with um, lots of quite big organizations, so Visa and MasterCard, Aberdeen and HSBC, uh, all kinds of different brands like that around spotting where the future opportunity will be and then building out a whole new product for them. So that can turn into apps, that can turn into digital businesses of different kinds. We've even got one, uh, well, a couple actually projects now that are more around the drinks industry and new whiskies and things. So um, that's the core of it. The kind of backstory to that is I started out for um, at least a, my sort of 20s, my first 10 years of my working life at least, um, working in, in the arts more directly. Um, initially being a, a kind of, well, initially kind of working with early stage theatre companies and, and things like that, trying to, trying to somehow get some marketing effort together and putting a website together. And then uh, a first proper job in the culture sector was with Historic Royal Palaces, actually. So at the Tower of London, working on outreach, but I gave it quite a kind of digital agenda. So starting to build um, social media platforms and connect audiences in, in different ways. Um, and then freelance across the sector in different ways. So right from uh, the Quad in Derby, which I really love, and uh, all kinds of um, organizations around that space. Was also head of development at Circus Space for a while. So in that kind of um, uh, sort of wider performing arts um, space. And then at Sound and Music, where I had the really weird job title of head of digital development and communications, which kind of made some sense in terms of what the actual work was, but it, had, it, was, a, it was a hell of a long title. Um, and after that, weirdly I actually just crossed the bridge in London because Sound of Music at that time was in Somerset House and I moved over to an innovation consultancy called Market Gravity which was literally just over in Southwark quite close to where we are now um, and started working on you know the same kind of core thing working out what a digital strategy is but doing it in a um, in a more um, commercial setting I guess so working with different brands in different places so that's the kind of so so so, so to me it's all what I would call being a producer 
just not what anyone else calls being a producer. But I suspect more people might saying things might start saying things like that soon. Yeah, and I think that is a really interesting point because I've got a number of friends who are, you know, trained theatre makers, and their their training is in things like producing or lighting design or sound design, you know, making new things. And actually, they do not work in theatre. They work in digital product or they work in innovation because those are, whilst it may not seem like it, those are super transferable skills between those two spaces. So it's interesting that you make that observation. Yeah, and I I think it's probably more likely to happen now as well because if you think of, uh, well, partly because of what's changing the tech, actually, so one or two people now can make something quite significant um, as a product or as a, as a, you know, whether that's artistically driven or whether that's slightly more commercially driven. And there's also, there's a lot of um, kind of crossover in terms of what's happening next in digital. So I was, I was at an event last week and met lots of people there who are working at Masterclass on creating content that helps people explore the arts in different ways and that's actually you know their core job is very similar to what the digital team at the national theater were doing 10 years ago in a small way um so that yeah there's there's, there's definitely going to be a, a a crossover although i think in terms of the culture of the organizations in the different spaces they're a world apart yeah absolutely and we are definitely going to talk about that <laughs> but i think that that point about you know in the the sort of digital commercial digital space there's so much focus on content and you know you look at lots of amazon's acquisitions recently it's been you know podcast platforms podcast producers you know content is so key long-form narrative content um you know things that cultural organizations are expert in you know storytelling and it's interesting that they're they're the commercial players are, are, seem to be sort of outflanking the cultural sector slightly. And there's a, from what I can see, a bit of a a, a talent drain, um, you know, which has always been there, but that certainly seems to have uh, picked up pace um, with, with some of the moves that some of these, these big commercial players are making. Yeah, I, I think there's maybe, there's maybe two things in that. One of which is kind of a career path issue. Because um, I guess there was, I always felt in the arts world, there was a big drive towards making arts management more like a profession. That's the kind of way we understood making it more official and better was to make it more like being a doctor or a lawyer or something. Um, And I think the thing that I rubbed up against with that a little bit was I didn't really want to become a chief exec. So once I got to a head of digital music, I kind of felt like the path that was going to have to go on was going to have to be about making less and be a bit bit more about facing into the Arts Council or, um, uh, you know, it's kind of managerial things, which I I entirely respect people who want to do, but I kind of felt like I wanted to go and start making things more. And I think it's an interesting thing maybe for what's emerging. I could quite easily see a good career path where someone could go to a theatre, be taken on a digital role from that step out and maybe work in a a funded startup, maybe doing some of that kind of same kind of content type stuff and maybe step back later on into a head of or to and then from that to go and you know, there's a very clear path there that wasn't there before. And then the other bit within it, I think, is that the cultural sector has sort of embraced digital. But I think one of the things that's interesting, especially after the pandemic, is a lot of them haven't really translated it into their purpose and reason to be. So it is weird that 
things like Masterclass now exist. And there's very little voice from the cultural sector in terms of what do we want this bit of digital culture to be? How do we interact with it? We seem to see it almost as like a, maybe an interesting thing for the fundraising team to look at. Is there a partnership that we could do? Whereas actually, surely from a sort of public value perspective, then we should be hearing more from the cultural institutions of Britain around what they want the creative scene to become, both from an audience journey perspective and also from a, uh, you know, do we think this is good for artist development or do we think it's not? I just don't know what any of our institutions think about that. And I'm a pretty engaged audience member. Yeah, you are the target audience. Really, yeah, and the target audience, sort of content. yeah. And so, I mean, one, one of the reasons that I got in touch with you to see if you wanted a, a chat is because so many of the conversations I've had on this podcast and elsewhere over the last two years were obviously reflecting on the pandemic. And the positive things that people were saying about the pandemic is that, you know, there was suddenly a an impetus and a, a need for new ideas and trying new approaches and digital suddenly came very much to the forefront. Um, and that has, to varying degrees, somewhat gone away since the, the pandemic has become less of a factor. And and what I'm interested in us trying to dig into today is this idea of experimentation and this idea of new ideas. And maybe we will talk about the word innovation because I think it's an interesting word that means everything and nothing in some contexts. Um, but I, I want to start really by the conversation we were having over coffee just prior to pressing record where you were saying, you know, in a commercial context, not innovating is seen as a massive risk. Whereas in a cultural context, in a culture sector context, innovation is seen as a risk that you have to sort of mitigate. And I'm really interested by by that idea. So could you talk a bit about, you know, the conversations you're having in, in your current role about innovation as a, a necessary part of existing as a as a, as a business yeah so it's interesting so for within a label ventures context we'll normally start talking to an organization when either they've half spotted something that's kind of interesting or they spotted something that's kind of scary so it could be a new entrant it could be there's a new tech that's emerged and i'm quite sure what the shape of it is it could be things that are going on in the world so a lot of it recently is kind of looking at what does it mean to be sustainable but also to be uh to be high growth. So how can you find some way for, for an organization that has to pay its own way to, to also transition that way? So, but, but all the time, therefore, we are talking to people around innovation in the sense of new product developments, brand development, uh, proper kind of foresight, looking at what, what's going on in the world. And that conversation in the commercial world is couched in a sense of how do we manage the risk of the change that's going on? in the world and you know how can we find an opportunity in it and, and mobilize behind it um my experience was in the arts world it tends to start from a different place so someone sort of thinks we should be doing some innovation it's a good word we like the word innovation but it tends to be seen as risky to the brand or risky to the reputation because there's a fear of things being seen to go wrong um and some of that maybe is a is a, a kind of maybe a symptom of the fact that the arts world is quite interconnected. Because actually the weird thing is 
we have, you know, in recent years worked with, you know, absolutely massive brands, whether it be like uh, Google or a MasterCard or whatever. Um, and I do find that they are less worried about people paying attention to the detail of what they do than some of the quite medium-sized arts organizations they used to work with. There's a real sense that people are paying more attention to us necessarily than, than they maybe are. But I think there's a, there's a, uh, a, a kind of important agenda in there, which is that actually the reason you should be innovating is to find opportunities that could help you live your mission in an entirely new way. And that could be a new way to engage an audience. It could be a new business model that comes off the back of it. But also the one thing you can be pretty certain of is that if you pretty much take the model of the arts organization that you were founded for or the heritage organization that you were, you were founded around and you just keep on doing it in precisely the same way, then the lesson of history is that you will become a blockbuster video, I guess, that you'll just become less relevant. Um, and probably whilst the opportunity for innovation in the cultural sector now is massive because you don't need the same level of resources you maybe did in the past to create really interesting digital tools, the risk is also much bigger too. So, I mean, in terms of if you think about as a theatre organisation building on the conversation before, there are now a lot of people who are offering theatre education online. Some of them you may like and some of them you may not, but it's quite affordable. It's very heavily marketed. And we are going into a period, probably, without being a big economist, but there's probably going to be 10 years of quite tough times, certainly in a UK context around public funding. So kind of as, as a kind of a burning platform, and I think uh, maybe some people are realizing it, some people aren't. But also, you know, I guess that, that all sounds very scary. It's also, you know, there are amazing people across the art sector. And I just think if, if the organizations were to think a different way and to set things up a different way, they could unlock them. And maybe the other part of the conversation as well is even if you are working with or working inside an institution that's quite tough, there probably are things you can learn from the outside world that make things run a bit better. And certainly in terms of will allow you to do the things that you want to do. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I'll make a recommendation now. Nick does a, a, a book club on LinkedIn where he's he's regularly recommending books. And, you know, I've, I've taken up a lot of your recommendations. And I think they are, there are they are a very good way of exposing yourself to new ideas. And so, I mean, check out Nick's LinkedIn profile. But I do think that idea of ex exposing yourself to different ways of thinking, of exposing yourself to sectors that may seem completely unrelated to what you are doing is a good way of starting to unlock some of those possibilities. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's an interesting thing, you know, a really basic thing, but in terms of, uh, in the wider innovation world, I guess, you talk quite a lot about precedence. Um, so whenever you're looking for a concept that you've got a half idea for or something, it's trying to find people in different sectors who've done a little bit of that idea. And one, sometimes that precedent gives you a proof point that you could go to a board and say, look, there's something in this because it might be in a different area, but these people have done it and it's worked. Uh, but also just from a sort of design inspiration and from a kind of just seeing what other smart people have thought around how you can engage people a different way or something. It's a really key. It's a really key thing. So I think probably when I when I sort of retrained myself as a commercial innovation guy, that was one of the first bits that was kind of like a light bulb moment to me, which is actually, hey, when you have an early stage idea, one, don't just look in your own sector for an example of someone doing something similar. And secondly, actually, you know, the internet is a thing. You can sometimes just reach out to them and they're quite happy just to kind of join you for 15 minutes and tell you a bit of their experience. And actually, weirdly, I think uh, one of the great things about working in the arts is everybody else is quite interested. 
So I think that's the thing. I wish I'd done more and that I've, I've uh, do more now is one, the worst people can do is say, no, I'm too busy. Um, the, best, the best thing is you can normally find people LinkedIn or Twitter or something and send them a message to say, like, I've got this half idea for a thing. Um, but yeah, the, the, you, people with massive jobs, for <laughs> some reason, are quite eager just to talk to other people who've had a daft idea and just to see if there's something in it. So yeah, that would be a, a key tip. Yeah, absolutely. And I think people working in the in the cultural sector should not underestimate the cachet of working in the cultural sector. Yeah. It is a weird and fascinating thing to anyone who hasn't worked in the sector. Yeah. Um, so make the most of that. But I think you also said something earlier about, you know, institutions needing to think differently. There perhaps needed to be a slight shift in, in culture and maybe sort of structurally in, in roles. And I'm, I don't want to bog you down in a in a redesign redesign a typical arts institution, but maybe looking at at the work you're doing at the moment, and you know you've mentioned some of the the brands that you work with. Are there any common threads that run through culture, approach, thinking, starting points in terms of the organisations that seem to be, you know most open to new ideas or sort of most successfully managed to catalyze new ideas into a thing? Yeah, I think um, one of the things that sound really basic, but is important is realizing that thinking not necessarily way out into the future, but having a view of where you think, think things are going to be in five years is important actually to the now, one of which because it allows you to start making smarter choices that guide you towards where you want to be, which is the classic digital strategy piece. It also allows you, though, to say to your team, what are the things that we know pretty well versus things we don't really know yet? So we're going to have to be running some kind of experiments or research program to kind of understand what's going on in that um, in that space. And also because one of the things that's really interesting is that one of, as I said before, a lot of innovation in the wider world is driven by a perception of what the risk is. It's also driven by a need to communicate to your partners that you get it and you've got a big vision for the future. So I think sometimes I pick up from friends of mine still, and I, I remember this as well, there was a bit of a sense that if you were having a conversation in the office that was about the kind of, not about this year, but about the future, it was a bit frivolous. The thing I've, I think is really important is if you can nail your vision as well as you nail the strategy document, which I know the arts world loves the strategy document and it's important, but also that kind of vision for what you think the future is, how your purpose as an organization links to your purpose around digital, then actually it's a lot easier to inspire other partners, especially if you want to be looking at sponsorship and things like that. There's something in terms of a big, bold vision that is thought through is a useful thing to have in the here and now, whether it's entirely where you get to in five years or not, but in terms of having that vision, I think is an important um, thing. Um, and there's a thing for me as well around the world, world innovation, which I think is good to pick up on because, um, to be fair, it's a word that's misunderstood all over the place. So there's kind of a model that we've developed at the label that's kind of, um, it's a bit neat, but I think it's broadly, broadly right, which is if you unpack the word innovation a bit, you're normally either talking about imagination in the sense of thinking about stuff that hasn't been thought of before. Invention in terms of creating something technically new um, at, or sometimes ingenuity, which is really the ability to get something to happen, the kind of the connect dots and get people together to make something happen. And it can be that uh, with it, when, you, when you kind of look through those, you realize what your 
model of innovation is. And something we quite often do, um, I'm doing a lot just now actually with boards of massive companies, is working out what their model of innovation really is. Because sometimes for some people, especially actually in some in very complex kind of regulated fields, actually innovation for them does have to be quite heavy around the imagination. It's going to work out what's next because they're so stuck in uh, what's in the here and now. Sometimes it can be that actually you've got an organization that happens quite a lot in the tech sector where they've got, they're kind of almost falling over new ideas and bits of R&D is spitting out things and actually therefore you need the ingenuity to kind of turn these things into products and to brands that people understand. Um, but I think in the art sector and the cultural sector more broadly, there's an interesting thing where our model of innovation is really confused. Because in artist development, we do go quite heavy on that imagination angle, which is really saying to people, you know, go out and dream big dreams, bump into things. Uh, we'll put the structure around you where we can, uh, you know, help make that useful as we go through time. But trying to cut space for people to go, in, to go and experiment. When it comes into the way that we do it in the organization, we become very invention heavy. So it tends to be that people go to the board in some level and kind of call out a thing like data or something that's going to be our big innovation angle. And it's quite um, top down. And that then feeds into uh, needing to go and get big funding from someone to deliver an innovation program, which tends to be in a situation where you kind of have to know what the results are before you do it. Um, and it's kind of fine, but it's kind of one, one model in particular. And then the thing that's interesting is I think most people who work in the arts and culture are very good at the ingenuity piece because they're quite good at making things with relatively few resources and kind of finding ways to kind of hustle things um, together. Um, so I think there's there's definitely something in terms of for for organizations to be good at innovation, the first step is to get clear on where your blockers actually are and then think how could we solve those different things. Um, and one of the things we talk about in organizations of all sizes is the best place to do something really interesting around innovation is to be the least important thing on the chief executive's table. So it's a, I know it's a bit counterintuitive, but actually the thing that's really interesting is the things that are the top of the chief exec's table, it tends to be that there is quite a low tolerance to exploration around them because they kind of have to just make sure they happen. And they tend to therefore put a lot of uh, processes around it. Uh, and it tends to be that, in, in fairness, a lot of people in the organization really want to be working on that thing because it's the thing which is kind of fine. But in terms of, from an innovation perspective, that thing is always uh, quite hard to be explorative around, creative around. On the flip side, if it's not on the cheapest X table at all, then it's really hard to get any resource around or time around. But actually, if you take the thing that's the, that's the, that's the smallest thing on the cheapest X table, um, then one, you, it's, it's, everyone knows it's a sensible thing to look at. But also, you've got a bit of space where you can say, actually, this is the thing that we could deliver in an okay way, but we could deliver in a way that would change the rest of what this business is. So um, that's my so the second one. And then the other thing I think that's also just as a, a, a core thing is that to make innovation really work, beyond it just being a kind of digital design idea. You really want it to have a bit of a, an innovation around the experience of it, the thing we're doing, but also around the business model in some way. So I think probably the other thing that would be interesting is if you're as an organization, I think the, the design pattern from the rest of the world would be teach your digital team about how the commercials work and teach your commercials team around how digitals could work. If you're there as an individual, if you're starting out as a digital person 
uh, go and find yourself some stuff on the business model canvas and try and try and get to a place where you could at least speak to your finance director in their language. Whether that's the way you think or not is a different thing, but at least understanding what are the different levers that you could pull. Yeah, and I think that question around money is what I wanted to talk to you about next, really, because that's what we were. I, that's what I was hearing is leaders were being told by their boards, by funders, oh, we were sort of happy to give you some money for digital when it was the only thing you could do during COVID. But actually now, sort of in this fuzzy post-COVID period, we'll give you some more money for digital if you can prove you know that it sort of stacks up and is going to at least cover its costs if not make money and it needs to if it's going to make money it probably needs to make money to the same order of magnitude as other things that you already do and i wondered if you had a perspective on that and on conversations around funding digital work funding innovative work funding new work and if there are any lessons to be learned from the more commercial world where you know money is just as important, there may just be a little bit more of it sometimes. Yeah, but even then, I think um, this is where the experimentation thing comes in. So there's probably things I shouldn't be too open about, but there was one of the one of the clients we're working with just now. Um, it will sound like at the end, it's one of those things that's unapproachable for the arts world because it ended up with an acquisition of a company and lots of millions of dollars being involved. But that whole thing started out from a a prototype, which is a really grand word of saying this. Basically, there was two people in a team that put together kind of in a very hacky way without any real code being involved as Webflow and stuff, put together a version of a product and then filmed themselves, taking it to people who might be the, the client for it and showing them how it worked. Um, so I think the thing that's maybe interesting is one of the great things, I think, about the way that digital tech has moved is that you can make something that looks quite real quite quickly. From that, it's then working out what the model's gonna be for how you get money all the time to start building it out. Um, and I guess the thing, so I mean, that, that, and that's kind of a challenge for everyone. Clearly it's easier if you're in a company where there is someone you can go and ask who can unlock lots of uh, money around something. Although I kind of think we're in a weird moment where, well, for big ideas, there is does seem to be funding that's around in different places. So I think maybe what's happened a wee bit is that it's quite easy to get stuck by thinking that you need to prove out a concept in the traditional way. That's probably where I was when I was working more in the arts. You kind of felt like you had to, but partly because you were presuming that you had to go through one of the big funders and partly because you're presuming at some stage to even get a working version, you were going to have to be talking about 100 grand or something. It kind of led you in a very particular direction. Whereas I think the key thing around experimentation is to say, how could we get a working version of this, at least for a conversation to happen, to start proving it to people? And then how can I start going out in the world? Because I don't want to be, we shouldn't be rude about anyone in particular, but there is an interesting example of this that's kind of re relevant to. Uh, well, I guess to me, because I live in Edinburgh, which was interesting as a kind of arts digital thing, which was the Fringe Festival this year not having an app. And I entirely hear from them how they got to that position, which was they didn't have any money for it in the budget. But they also then in their statement said it was going to cost like 100, between 100 grand and 150 grand. Um, and the thing that just really throws me about that is there are financial institutions all over Scotland who will spend that on advertising relatively quickly, some of which used to be sponsors of 
of the festival. Um, and I think there's a, that may be exposed. So, so one, just from what I do day to day, I cannot believe that it wasn't possible to get that to happen. And number two, the other thing, I guess, is in terms of maybe for digital people in the cultural sector, if I can go back to saying we, I think we'll have to get a bit less tolerant of bad leadership around digital. I don't know what's going to happen in that instance, but what would have happened if it was a commercial brand running a major global festival and it got to the point where because of the way the budgets were set up and their existing commercial relationships, they weren't going to have an app in 2022, then people would have been very open about saying this is a disaster and being probably quite public about the same word, this is what a problem this is going to be because that would be dangerous to our brand because that would leave us in a situation where we're not interacting with our audiences directly so we don't own it and other people do. So this maybe a point I think where it's like the positive side of this is hey we can we can experiment with things much more uh closely and actually if we do that I suspect approaching commercial organizations around sponsorship will be much more interesting because they're much more used to that kind of way of pitching an idea and secondly if you are in an organization where people are accepting bad digital provision for your audience then it might be the point where one the good responsible thing to do is to be flagging that pretty hard and if you are the leader of that organization, maybe they're calling out directly to say we're in a position where we can't do these things. So, yeah, so I guess like the positive side of this is it's so much easier to experiment now. Now let's experiment and experiment in a way that means we can go and show funders. We can go and show sponsors. We can go and show show audience members because sometimes there's people in that audience member who might be able to unlock an opportunity or a partner with you in some way. So um, make it real. That's the positive side. And on the other side, surely it has to be time after that, after the pandemic when digital proved that it could be at the core of the cultural offer rather than a periphery to it, surely it has to be time that we start making a fuss and start saying, one, if you are in an organization and there's a leader there or board members who are saying, hey, let's just get everyone back to doing things as we were doing it three years ago, then let, you know, maybe invite them to write a blog about that so it exposes and disposes that in the outside world. Um, and if you're a leader and you're in that position, we just have to be being direct that we're serious about having a, a, a vibrant cultural sector in the next 10 years, then one, it has to be with digital at its core because that's the way the world is. And two, all the other funding sources are getting tougher. So it's again in this thing of innovation as a risk issue, then if you are an organization or you're, or you're, a, you're a, maybe you're a patron of an organization that has just taken a quite digital model and put it back into an analog model with therefore reliance on the same business model that you had before, then what you've done is created a strategy that is bound to mean that you at least decline and probably go bust. So let's just say that. <laughs> I think that's maybe what we have to do. <laughs> yeah, and I, I suppose that the, the pushback from some people would be, you know, culture in its current uh, offline form has existed in, well, in, a version of how it currently exists for hundreds if not thousands of years and it will persist and how dare you say that we're sort of the blockbuster uh, experience form i mean it's an argument i've been making for at least the last 10 years is that we can't just ignore this stuff and and sort of hope it will go away you look at all of the sectors that have been disrupted or destroyed by this shift of, of customers, of audiences, of users, of 
you know everyone towards digital being a way they live much of their lives culture can't accept itself from that i don't think yeah exactly and i think also there's maybe this is also where maybe where the dominance in the conversation of big london institutions maybe shapes that a wee bit because you are right the vna has existed for a very long time uh there's a lot of museums in Newcastle and Berwick upon Tweed and small small towns that were not there 50 years ago, uh, and there's a lot of you know arts organisations that were in that boat too. Um, now there's all kind of arguments about where the funding goes and all that kind of stuff, but I think the the view that it will always just carry on is probably not a great one because I think the thing that's interesting is that. If you go and look at companies that, you know, it's actually it's quite interesting. The the lots of staff at BlackBerry wrote all kinds of stuff. You know, they haven't they haven't quite gone bust. It's actually found a new role for themselves, but they kind of they kind of declined. Um, every sector that ends up in a horrible, every company that ends up in a horrible decline. Every, you know, it wasn't apparent to people before that point. You can you can, you can read it in the those all kind of ash in the Kodak story. People have said that as well. They were taking sensible choices. Things that seemed sensible internally at the time, um, and and obviously the cultural sector, people love it, so people will fight to really keep these things going. But I think also in terms of you know public value and access and all these kinds of things, it was one thing in a time where the only thing, the only way of presenting your work as a theatre was to put it uh, in the one space that you are and to take national funding to do that. That was one thing. But when you're in a space where, one, there's lots of other ways of doing it, two, when you've actually done it, (laughs) then it starts to get a bit like, this is you looking after the way you see the world rather than what your mission is. And I guess that's maybe maybe the, the, the better way of putting it in some ways, which is surely looking ahead, five years ahead, ideally, if you're in my frame of mind, but like looking ahead your the way you see your vision should have digital at its core now and if your existing funding model doesn't support that you have to find a different way of doing it and actually it's a good time to be doing that right because every brand in the world is reviewing its marketing spend just now so there's opportunities in that um and funnily enough sponsoring or uh building apps as we used an example before 150k is not an incredible amount of money for a big brand to be spending as part of things. So there's like, if you if we can reframe it maybe away from the sponsorship budget, um, there are interesting things there. But I guess the, um, I guess it's a provocative way of putting it, but if digital isn't at the core of your vision as a cultural organization in 2022, then maybe you are part of the problem. Which is an excellent provocation yeah. from my point of view. Yeah, exactly. But I think you touched on something there because, again, if we take this sort of five-year view on things, there is going to be less public subsidy. Unless something you know really dramatic shifts, there is going to be less money coming from central government, central governments, um, available to cultural institutions as in the form of subsidy. So, therefore, there are going to there's going to need to be some new thinking around sources of funding and you know you've sort of touched on it a few times now that it seems like you think there's potential in more different types of partnerships with commercial organizations um 
and I, I'm interested in in your sort of perspective on that. I suppose is, you know, because the traditional thing has been that a commercial organisation will give, you know, it will be a sponsorship, a sort of classic sponsorship agreement. You've seen it sponsoring ticket schemes, sponsoring particular um, innovation things. Um, do you think there are other models that cultural organisations could be exploring in terms of how they access, I suppose, finance, but also expertise? Because I think lots of what we've touched on maybe highlights a, a skills gap in the sector that I think everyone acknowledges is is there. Um, so yeah, I'm interested in that, that idea of partnership. Yeah, so I, and I think maybe being a bit of a futurist for a second, I think it's probably two big opportunities for the cultural sector one of which is straightforwardly if you look at what's going on in media then clearly there is a model that's being developed you know so in terms of if you look at um the most uh the biggest podcasts even in the uk just now um you can see where there's a lot of overlap with the ip that exists in the in the cultural sector so if you look at like the rest is history or the go hanger um podcast company um stuff that's there uh history podcasts with a commercial model that they have a community alongside them um, are growing content, you know, these kind of masterclasses, things that are that are there. There is clearly an evolving model around uh, cultural content that the cultural sector hasn't yet embraced. It's kind of, that's the more kind of conservative one. The one that's really interesting is that, you know, the National Gallery's always had this thing where, or various places like them, where you have the charitable operation and you do have a commercial arm that's alongside them. And in the past, that's been running cafes and stuff. I do think it's really interesting, and given the model that we're in just now of venture building, as we would talk about it in my world now, could be an interesting thing for the cultural sector to look at. And that would be where you say the day-to-day -day of the way we run our business is quite hard to change and maybe we don't want to disrupt it because we need to keep it going and make sure it kind of stays stays efficient but we do want to make one or two bets that could transform the fortunes of this company um and so therefore what would be interesting to do would be to say actually to create a commercial arm to build a product that isn't running a cafe is actually building a digital product and the thing that's really interesting in there is there have to be opportunities for that when you look across different areas. So it could just be that you create a content business that works with your creators, the historians you work with, maybe some of the artists you work with to create, to seed invest behind uh, projects that you're then using the audience of your um, institution to be the kind of first audience for. That's a really interesting thing. And you can also see, again, how without kind of doing anything too adventurous in terms of where the idea might be, you can start to see how there's versions of masterclass that might be coming from the cultural sector. Uh, and therefore, the model for that might be that there's some, maybe some initial investment, maybe some people and skills that come from the the original sort of cultural company. But then that could be getting either commercial investment or that could be having a much more direct relationship with brands in, in, in different ways in terms of how you kind of communicate to the audience that's on there. So I do wonder if that's a, if that's a thing. And I, it may be a learning from the last two years that could be an interesting lesson. It's a model shift for the sector. But if we've just been through a moment where we were communicating with audiences primarily online and alongside that, a bunch of, for the sake of a better term, Silicon Valley companies were doing the same thing. What's then happened afterwards is that the analog world is retrenched in lots of these organizations. And certainly, I don't think anyone 
as far as I know, in the cultural space has really made it work commercially yet. But they know the audience is there, so there's something coming through. So that could therefore be an argument to say, for this really to live, we need to create an entity that this can live inside, which should still be in the same building, it's just like has a different structure, and that therefore could be getting some investors in it. I think that'd be an interesting thing. Yeah, and that's that certainly chimes with conversations I've had previously on this podcast with someone who works in finance and, you know, this idea of spinning out. You know, you take your talented people, you fire them, and then you give them a chunk of money to do something with, you know, with obviously clauses that you'll, you'll sort of buy it back in that you create an imperative for. Yeah, it's interesting, this conversation, because also in the digital space, you pretty much know those people are going to leave the organization at some point anyway. So why don't you kind of like uh, take them forward in a different way? Um, and I guess the the other thing that's interesting, again, bringing it back to the way you, we think about innovation and risk, the other appeal in the commercial world of a venture building structure is your risk is very known. So in terms of what happens in that scenario is you say, like, we're going to build this product. We're going to treat it as a as a different company that we fully own for a period. We're going to invest this in it. And that's all we're going to invest. And that therefore means that if they make it work, it's great. If they don't, all we've risked is that individual money and I've kept my core system going. So I guess maybe the, the bold opportunity for the cultural sector would be to take more of a, a venture building um, mindset. And I think the curious thing for me is, you know, lots of the things that you've touched on in terms of ways that innovation might manifest itself coming out of cultural institutions isn't a radical departure from what they do. And I think that's maybe a misconception is it sometimes feels that cultural institutions understand digital working or digital ideas or innovation as a, a complete screaming handbrake, you know, disappearing off at 90 degrees to what they do whereas you know everything you've talked about there is about you know it's about expertise it's about practitioners it's about engagement with audience and communities lots of this activity I suspect is already happening in some form maybe quite an offline form or an analog form in organizations it's almost like there there isn't the understanding of the value of some of the things that organizations do away from their sort of exhibition spaces. Yeah. Well, it's, it's actually really interesting, actually, because I hadn't really thought about it in that in that frame. But again, a lot of the way we do artist development already has this in mind. So if you are a theatre company that's working with different artist development programs, the model tends to be that the culture institution gives you a bit of support and it gives you a, a sum of cash to make a project happen and then to go and turn into something that's more sustainable over time. Um, if we looked at digital projects in the same way, it would be a really interesting thing. If we were to say, actually, maybe that's also the thing that speaks to a different risk model, to say, actually, um, either one you know, sort of the closest level to now is when we, 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 we kind of, as the organization looks at the digital team to go and make some innovation happen, we agree a sum of money that we can live with, and we kind of give them the freedom to go away and explore it and try and turn it into some kind of model somewhere. they even... Oh, the thing would be to say, actually, that there's a, we either encourage them to set up a company that we can put some money into or we spin it off sort of formally and say this is, a, this is an entity that's slightly separate so it can go and get money in different ways. Um, but at the core of that is seeing digital as a creative thing is at the core of what the organization is about, which is just getting out of that mindset of, which I guess is just institutional memory of 
it was kind of set up as the bit that didn't fit quite into marketing or the bit of the curatorial program the creators didn't really understand and so it's kind of this bit on the edge um which anyway you know you'd hope we've got past that we haven't quite and after that after the pandemic i guess if we haven't got past that now we need to do something quite radical to make it work yeah if the last two years didn't win the argument in your institution then i'm not sure what would and maybe my sort of final question is I suspect there may be people listening to this that say, you know, this all sounds great, this sounds exciting, but our institution, our small institution or our institution that's got, seen its, you know, electricity bill go up by a million pounds year on year, um, or whose audiences haven't come back in the same numbers, you know, we don't, we don't have the, the funds to throw at something like this. In terms of sort of actual numbers do you think there's a there's a minimum amount of cash <laughs> that needs to be available in order for some of these ideas to be viable or is it more about time or is it i i i'm intrigued you know what's the what's the mvp of this of this of this model yeah i think the mvp of this model is people being able to get a working version of an idea so it depends i guess how we think about the organization. I think most people in a digital role can probably get the MVP of an idea together enough to go and start showing it to people. Um, but so, yeah, but so people that don't have the digital skills will find that harder. So, therefore, that's always got a cash implication to it. The, I guess, the one thing that's in my mind saying that is like, this stuff is hard. It was funny, there was, there was a couple of years ago, the last, actually during the pandemic a wee bit. Various people from like university departments and stuff were reaching out and say, "Hey, can you do a briefing for us on Web three strategy or whatever?" Um, which I can do because I'm really happy to do it, and I think it's a really good cause. But they'd always say this thing about how can we make it easier for people in the cultural sector? How can we make it easier for them to understand? Um, and my response really is, I really don't want to because it's like it's fundamental. So you either it's either this stuff is either fundamental or it's not. So I guess if you're in the arts organization and you're really under the cosh and I can remember that from different organizations it was a part of then there is an MVP to your point mock something together doesn't need to be fully working but enough that you can show it to people get different people interested in it secondly though even if you don't do that the problem still exists right so it's like we're kind of this is what this is maybe the moment that we're at and actually there was a really good phrase I heard the other day and it's doubly good because I I thought when I first heard it I thought this is a phrase that's quite nice, but I can't use it because it will be um, from some horrendous LinkedIn influencer. And it was like, the times that we're in are not, uh, I'll get this right, the times that we're in are not um, an era of change. It's a change of era. There's so many things going on just now that are really fundamental. And I thought that's really nice, but I bet some horrendous person like Gary Vee said it. And it, it wasn't Gary Vee, it was the Pope. Right, there is some fundamental stuff going on in the world. This is a change of era in terms of the business model of most organizations is fundamentally changing. That's going on even with the massive companies that we are working with. It's a proper, the text changed, the environmental um, context has changed, the economic context has changed. So that's going to hit arts organizations too. The good bit is if you've got some digital skills, which hopefully listen to this podcast, a lot of people do. If you've got some digital skills, you actually have the tools to explore what the future is. 
That's the positive side. The downside is if your boss is still telling you that you have to go back to the old model and just can you just find some ways of sending some emails that would uh, maybe convert a slightly higher conversion on the next tickets for your analog event, then you're already screwed and you can't help them. <laughs> so I think maybe that, that's where we have to maybe get to, which is, hey, opportunity is massive. Downside of not doing it is also massive. You can't change the entire world to suit your arts organization, but the thing you could maybe do is come up with a different model for taking your mission into a digital world. And a final question, you know, <laughs> yeah. We've talked, you know, you said that we're, we're, we're in this moment that seems like it's never ending of just <laughs> yeah. crisis upon crisis, difficulty upon difficulty. Are, are, you, are you hopeful? Are you excited for the future? Or do you think people need to <laughs> maybe get quite serious and worried about things? I think uh, th th there are exciting things happening. Uh, and it's kind of positive. Not everything that existed before deserves to always be carrying on. Um, there are some dirty models and things, different bad business models and things around. So, yeah, so I think there are... The thing I'm very conscious of is there are amazing creative people around who are making amazing things happen. And that's really exciting. It's just that none of it's going to happen by accident. And i also very conscious of, for us, we talk about this in the label team all the time, is... Uh, amazing, massive opportunities are opening up all the time. Also, lots of things that used to make sense no longer make sense. So for everyone, we said to make sure that we do what we do deliberately, right? So they'll end up by accident thinking, oh, this was really nice a few years ago, so it'll be nice um, in, the, in, the, in the next few years. Because I think, uh, yeah, there's it's, 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 it's tough times out there. You can, you can make yourself a good little bubble in it. <laughs> I think it's tough times out there. Well, on that note, thank you, Nick.